Hello, welcome to Chapter 3 Podcast, the show for readers of science fiction, fantasy, and romance. This is Season 1, Episode 8. I'm Bethany, your host, and joining me today are YouTubers Angela from Literature Science Alliance and Liana from Liana's Library. In today's episode, we're going to be going head-to-head talking about The Way of Kings, Book 1 in the Stormlight Archives by Brandon Sanderson. Is it terrible or is it amazing? We've got somebody on each side and I have not read it yet, so I'm an impartial party. If you want to support the podcast and get early access to episodes and exciting bonus content from our guests, check out our Patreon linked in the show notes. But before our conversation today, it's time for On My Radar, where I'll share recent or upcoming book releases in science fiction, fantasy, and romance that I'm excited about. And then our guests will have the opportunity to share one as well. The books for today's episode will be released between January 5th and January 19th, 2021, with the exception of the guest recommendations, which may include any upcoming release. First, on January 12th, we have several exciting releases. From Simon & Schuster, we are getting The Meet Cute Project by Rhiannon Richardson. This one's a YA rom-com build as to all the boys I've loved before meets Save the Date, about a teen girl determined to find a date to her sister's wedding. From Grand Central Publishing is The Effort by Claire Holroyd, a sci-fi novel of love and sacrifice for readers of Station Eleven and Good Morning Midnight. Then Tor.com is releasing one I'm very excited for, Across the Green Grass Fields by Seanan McGuire. This is book six in the very popular Wayward Children series. This installment follows a girl who discovers a portal to a land filled with centaurs and unicorns. Ace is releasing a sapphic fantasy romance that looks like fun. This one's called The Ruthless Lady's Guide to Wizardry by C.M. Wagoner. A petty thief becomes a bodyguard for a rich young lady threatened by assassins and then begins to fall for one of the other bodyguards. Lastly, from Flatiron Books is an illustrated short story collection, Tales from the Hinterland by Melissa Albert. This one's a collection of dark fairy tales from the world of the Hazelwood. Then on January 19th, there's four releases I want to highlight. First from Tor.com is a sci-fi novella, Remote Control by Nettie Okorafor, who I think is one of the most inventive authors writing speculative fiction today. This one follows the adopted daughter of the Angel of Death, who searches for an object that came from the sky and gave itself to her when the meteors fell and she was yet unchanged. We don't have a whole lot of information on this one yet, but I'm sure it's going to be interesting. Then Gallery Books is releasing Shipped by Angie Hockman. This one's a contemporary romance with a beachy cover following workplace rivals forced to go on a company cruise to the Galapagos Islands together. From Amulet, we're getting Wench by Maxine Kaplan. This one's billed as a funny, fiercely feminist YA epic fantasy following the adventures of a tavern wench, which sounds fantastic. And then lastly, Orbit is releasing The Mask of Mirrors by M.A. Carrick, the start to a fantasy trilogy in which a con artist, a vigilante, and a crime lord must unite to save their city. With that said, please join me in welcoming Angela and Leanna to the show. Thank you guys for joining me. Thanks for having us. You're totally right about Nidia Korafor, though. I just finished Binti, and she's so inventive. She really is. Yeah, absolutely. If you guys want to briefly introduce yourselves to our listeners and then share your pick for an exciting upcoming release. Well, I'm Angela. I have a small booktube channel um, that Bethany already talked about, Literature Science Alliance. It's your pretty standard booktube, but I also do science behind the magic videos where I go into how something in a magical or sci-fi book is based off reality. And the book I want to talk about is a sci-fi sequel called A Desolation Called Peace by Katie Martine. This is the sequel to A Memory Called Empire, which was a space opera I read this year that I just 
loved. It's a story about an ambassador who goes to this empire and has to figure out what happened to her predecessor. And it's about culture and memory. And I just loved it thematically. And it was just such a joy for me. So I'm very excited for the sequel, which comes out, I think, March of this year. I could be wrong. Yes, that was a great one. I'm, I'm excited for the sequel, too. And Leanna, this is your second. You are the first person to have been on the podcast twice. I'm a freaking veteran. <laughs> um, yeah, so everybody already knows who I am, per se. Uh, I am Clearly. Leanna from Leanna's Library. <laughs> <laughs> I have a YouTube channel, I think, as Bethany mentioned. Uh, it is about books, which I think is self-explanatory. <laughs> Um, my book recommendation, or I can't say it's a recommendation because it's not out yet and I haven't read it, so it could be terrible, but <laughs> I am excited <laughs> for The Mask Falling by Samantha Shandon, which is the long anticipated next installment of the Bone season series. Mm. Um, so, yep. <laughs> awesome. All right. So tonight I've invited Angela and Lana to join me because they both have very strong feelings about The Way of Kings, which is the first book in the Stormlight Archive series. It is a long epic fantasy series by Brandon Sanderson. In to, to, to be clear, I have read some books by Brandon Sanderson and I have enjoyed them, but I'm not a super fan and I've not read Way of Kings. So I thought it would be interesting to have them kind of go head to head and share their thoughts and feelings and reasons for loving or disliking that book and perhaps the series. And so we're gonna do that today. This is controversial because Brandon Sanderson is huge, as, as we know, um, in adult fantasy world. And so I thought this would be really interesting. Hopefully you all enjoy it. If the person who loves it would like to give a synopsis of what that it is. That is a fantastic <laughs> idea. Yeah. So Angela, why don't you do that? Give us a brief synopsis of what is Way of Kings? What are we going to be talking about tonight? Well, you guys know you're... But don't be buying me like the hardest job because everyone knows this series is very hard to describe. But <laughs> here we go. We have a world and it is approaching an apocalypse, but nobody knows that they're having their normal political squabbles across the world and the continent. And at the same time, this world didn't usually have magic. It did have this really weird weather pattern called a high storm that goes across it. But magic is coming back into this world and it's interacting with our main cast. And they're trying to figure out what's happening to them. And the world is trying to figure out what is this change. And that's the journey we start with. Like, that's the beginning. And in the first book, Way of Kings, you follow three characters. You follow a general who everyone thinks has kind of lost his mind. You follow a warrior turned slave. And you follow a very misguided scholar girl who's trying to go help her family in kind of maybe not the best way. So those are the characters you follow, and that's what's happening in the world when you start it. Perfect. Thank you. Yeah, I'm not going to lie, the way you just described it, I was like, man, that sounds great. <laughs> I really want to read that. I've, I've had a lot of time to think about this. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so the premise, it seems like both people agree, sounds great. The question is, how is it executed? And so this is where I, Liana, why don't we start with you? Give us a, you know, few minute overview of what are, what are some of your biggest issues with the execution of this book and things that you were not a fan of. And then we'll turn it to Angela. 
Uh, okay. Well, I did infamously have an hour long rant video because I had so many issues with the book and it is a very long book. So it's proportionately the number of issues to the number of pages. Um, and they have remained fresh in my brain for two years since I read it because of the amount of people responding to this in the, in unhealthy Mm -hmm. ways. So it's, I did read it two years ago. So do forgive me if I am not super clear on all the details because it was two years ago and fresh and my gripes <laughs> were many um I think if I had to pick like a top issue or like top problem um it was to me a lot of the sort of details of the I went into a lot of specifics about the world building but to me it was the fact that the world building I felt like was so ambitious and it it fell apart it was like uh, a house of cards that was built on really shoddy foundations. And so the whole thing was crumbling in in my head because none of this actually jived or made sense or went together and immediately fell apart upon closer analysis. And I couldn't, and there was so much of it all the time. It wasn't like a small magic thing that once you, you know, suspend your disbelief and you move on to the story, the whole story is all of these magic things constantly. And they are all completely not meshing for me and they're all falling apart. So like for a thousand pages, I was like, nope. <laughs> okay so a lot of it is the world building and the fact that that's it it sounds like you're getting less plot and narrative it's all kind of like a lot of it is world building well it's also going into it um i mean sanderson generally speaking i think it's fair to say whether you're a fan or not he is kind of known for world building magic building and he's given lectures on how to build a magic system how to build a world like that's kind of his deal so i went into it with an eye for that and that's kind of also what you go into it for so like if that's its big selling point and that's the part that's not working for you then you know it's like having a sandwich but like the main well i'm vegan so this is weird to say but like if you get like the cold cuts are disgusting like the rest of it is kind of not the point it's just bread and lettuce so like if the cold cuts are not working for you the world building is like kind of what you're there for and it's not working for me so this is so weird because i'm such a world building driven reader and my experience with the world building of this book could not be more opposite (laughs) Okay, so Angela, let's have you kind of defend what do you love about this book? I mean, the first thing I wrote down when I was thinking about things that I loved about it was the, well, in general, how immersive the experience is because of the page count. Like, I think the page count is a detriment, especially if it doesn't jive with you. Like, this book is not for everyone. I loved how long each book is. Like, I love that I just spent two weeks only reading one book. Um, because it was so long. But my favorite thing is that I get so immersed in the world. And I won't disagree. There are some things that I think you could nitpick, but there are other things that are so well thought out. So my background is in physics. And the way he ties in his magic system to actual physics, I didn't notice it when I first read Way of Kings when it first came out, because I was just an 18-year-old in high school and I didn't know anything. But when I read it after having my degree, I was like, what in the world? How did you add quantum mechanics into this? Which is not something I think an average reader would see. But like I saw it and I think how much I love certain aspects of the world building lets me forgive some of the smaller things that I do think are kind of weird. Like I don't like the Voran religion. I don't like that women wear a sleeve on their left hand for seemingly no reason. Like there are things that I think don't make sense. 
Oh, that's what I, I fondly refer to that as the handbrake. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't think that is really something that makes sense. And not every culture in this universe does stuff like that. It's a very, the Alethi people are not great. They're, they are kind of actually not the brightest culture, but it's the one you see the most. And it's the one you see in Way of Kings. And what something I really liked, oh, I lost my train of thought. Oh, gosh. Uh, one second. It's there. It's there somewhere. It's okay. Oh, my God. Well, I was going to, I mean, if you need a minute, I was, as you were speaking, I had this aha moment about why it falls apart for me and why both for you and oddly enough, my father, who is terrible at articulating why he likes and dislikes things. He also did not disagree with any of my criticisms, but he loves the Stormlight Archive. He's read The Way of Kings two or three times. I know he's read uh, Words of Radiance and Oathbringer. I'm sure if he hasn't already, he intends to read Rhythm of War. Um, And again, he didn't disagree with any of my criticisms. However, my dad as an aerospace engineer and he is i'm guessing what he finds in these books is similar to what you do and that is not my background is in anthropology <laughs> and i come at it from the cultural standpoint and that's the part that completely falls apart for me and so maybe the physics is cool <laughs> i believe you i'm sure my dad thinks it's cool but that's not what i'm here for no i think you're right i think culturally so much. <laughs> sanderson has a long way to go if he ever wants to meet the cultural world building of I mean, not that I've read a lot of Wheel of Time, but I hear Robert Jordan's like the master of cultural world building and fantasy. Like, I don't think that's his strong point. And like, so again, what I was going to say, I finally found the thought is like, so the Voren sleeve, I think is kind of not great, but how all of these animals have adapted to this weather pattern. Like, I think some people get really annoyed about learning about how all the grass retracts and how, just how the nature works. But I loved that the nature evolved differently because it's a completely different world. It is not akin to anything we have. So I think the science of the world building and the fact that the magic is pseudoscience that we're all trying to learn the rules about because no one in the book that we're following knows what's happening is it, it gives me a lot of intrigue, my own internal intrigue as a world building reader. I'm like, I want to know why this works. And Sanderson does always eventually tell you. And if he doesn't tell it to you all at once, I always get enough to keep me going. And he tends to at least, his pacing is suspect. I I know that, but at least in his world building pacing, it always <laughs> works for me. And it's like, it's just, it's after reading the most recent installment, it just gets better and better. And I just can't, it's the, it's that whole like scientific grounding of his world building in the Stormlight Archives that like I geek out about all the time. <laughs> well, I mean, to your uh, I don't know if to your credit or I mean I I will concede that I the when I was first reading it and before I was it was losing when I was still in the like okay we're trying it I might be liking it like how you know when I was discovering it the parts that I did find the most interesting and that I was immediately giving it credit for was having this the the creative mind and the willingness to put the thought into creating an entirely unique and original landscape with unique flora and fauna and how that all like that part of it like if it was just you know like a nature documentary (laughs) on the world of this you know fantasy book that was the part that I was like okay wow like this is like this is legit fantasy this isn't medieval Europe with magic this is its own world and I'm I'm impressed so far but that was like page 100 and (laughs) then we started learning about the cultures and the beliefs and the people and the characters and I was like nope (laughs) interesting okay so I think Number one, this explains a lot in terms of who may be more or less likely to enjoy the series depending on their background. So that's interesting. But 
why don't we go ahead and dig into some of the specific critiques, Lana, that you do have in terms of the culture. I know you've, you guys touched on it a little bit just now, but for anybody listening who maybe doesn't know what all of these things are and why they maybe do or don't make sense, um, feel free to pick two or three to talk about. Well, since this is the one that she already kind of touched on, uh, why don't we address the hand burka? <laughs> because having all of your female characters have a safe hand because they're, they have one sleeve, like co- totally sewn shut covering one hand because it's a modesty thing. And then women only eat sweet food and men only eat savory food. So like, I, I uh, uh, none of that, <laughs> not okay with any of that because like, it's not even like, a, I don't care if it's not feminist because like plenty of cultures are not feminist and a medieval European setting is not especially feminist, but the, usually modesty conventions have like a cultural there's, there's cultural logic and religious logic, and there is some reason behind the specific uh, ways in which modesty conventions manifest themselves. And there is just is no actual legitimate, reasonable, believable cultural explanation for why this would be a thing. And I'm absolutely fine with them having different beliefs. If like, you know, the whole ankles showing thing, like what we talk about in Victorian era, like I would, sure, like let's do some new modesty conventions and see where we go. But you have to have just as much thought as he does like from like the physics of his magic humans are also equally complicated and humans don't just arbitrarily start doing things there you can't just be like wouldn't it be cool if they just decided this was a thing i mean okay but there is a reason people don't just arbitrarily decide to do things it's when you actually study a culture and the history of that culture and the workings of that culture you learn how something came about and why it continues to be a thing. People's relationship with that convention. Is it something people do because they really believe that it's the right thing to do or because it's the thing that is done? Where did it come from? Like, these are all things that like, if that's not clear, it's, it stands out as looking absurd and stupid and unexplained. I really can't like deny what you're saying. (laughs) I don't, I think even as like my young 17, 18 year old self, when I first read it and every time I reread it, and even as I've read the 4,000 other pages in the series, I don't like a lot of what happens and what the main culture in Way of Kings is the Alethi culture and their main religion is born religion. There's a lot of stuff in it that we don't get enough backstory of to understand, but I don't really want it either. Like, I don't want it, not because it wouldn't enhance the story, but because the book's already a thousand pages. And for me, I wouldn't want any of the other things taken out. And I don't want the story to be any longer. Um, <laughs> like, there is, there is a threshold and it's Oathbringer. That book is too long. Um, like, I, I, am, I love these books. I've read them all multiple times, except for the newest one and Oathbringer's too long. But... <laughs> Like, uh. well, so I mean, to me, then the the obvious solution is like, if you're not going to bother spending all the pages to explain something as, as obviously like outlandish as a safe hand, then don't have that be a thing. No, yeah, I mean, I think you're right that like that could be something. I guess for me, the reason why, although I've always had that little thought of this is kind of silly, like I think I've actually had that thought. It never interfered with me enjoying. <laughs> the other parts that I loved. Like it never stopped me from engaging with the scene I was in with the character I was invested in. It never interfered with my engagement with the plot. It was just like, oh, that was, that was something. Like, it's kind of like Sanderson's humor, which is very hit or miss. Like for me, it's very, I ignore it. But for some people, it's very distracting. It's very misleading. <laughs> and for yeah. other people, it's very good. Like it's so all over the place. And so I think the weird, like obviously, 
bizarre things in his world building that aren't explained. Like you're right from an anthropological standpoint, it's not explained whatsoever. And like, I feel like that's a large part of a lot of these cultures is currently, I can tell you right now in the series, we don't know how we went from the first page in Way of Kings to these distinct cultures. Like we don't know the evolution of that. And I think that is a weak side to his world building. Interesting. Right. And so like, I mean, I think, cause I think it wouldn't have bothered me so much if uh, he wasn't, I guess, throwing out so many strange ideas for how a culture could be, because that's immediately, that's bait. And I'm as like an anthropological minded reader, I'm like, okay, there's all these entirely distinct, unique, and very different from our culture, cultures represented here. I, how, why, how does this work? Where did this come from? Why would they do this? Why would they believe this? And then it's just like, they just do. So here's some magic stuff. And I'm like, wait, I'm what? No, this, no. <laughs> oh, no. Well, and I guess that's the thing, right? Depending on your background and what you go in looking for, that makes sense that that would be a problem. Whereas for somebody who doesn't care about that, it's no big deal. Yeah, I mean, that's what I would say. Okay, but so I'm gonna say, so I think we're relatively speaking in agreement that this is a flaw, just whether or not you care about it mm-hmm. as much. But so I do have some... Uh, non well okay so to me again I had that aha moment when you were explaining how you enjoy the almost borderline scientific uh, aspect or scientific approach to magic and his world building and in his storytelling which again I suspect is what my dad uh, that's the enjoyment he derives out of it but I was thinking how that may or may not also apply to my criticism of the magical element because one of my biggest issues was with the spren, but I have absolutely no issue with the fact of spren. And so that would be the the sort of, I guess, this quote unquote sciencey part of it, the how the spren appear and how they work and the fact of them existing. People like to tell me I'm an idiot for not understanding their mechanics. I get it. And I don't have a problem with introducing that element. I have a problem with how human beings are responding to and living with them because the way they live with them doesn't make Can sense. You explain <laughs> for listeners who might not know what the spren are. Sure. Um, so I, I, you can correct me if I'm wrong because it's been two years, but uh, spren, they are kind of these magical, like, lights. Like, not really. Living <laughs> things, but that's how they look, right? No. <laughs> um, okay, you better explain it. So. Gosh, how to exp- so the problem, this is one of the things that's so weird about Sanderson, because I think we all could say he's a very direct writer. Most of the time, he will tell you what you need to know, like pretty directly. But in this part, a lot of the people in Roshar, which is the name of the planet we're on, don't actually know how Spren work and what they are. But you as the reader learn that because of the whole Cosmere thing. And the Cosmere is Sanderson's adult fantasy universe where everything is in the same universe it's just called a cosmere and stuff like that but um so spren are they're how to explain this without spoiling things so the problem is that they don't make sense in way of kings because no one knows how they work so there's no character perspective and no way for him to info dump to you what spren are i can say now after reading five thousand pages and i think you actually learn way more about them in words of radiance and especially way more in oathbringer i know very much what they are but I don't want to talk about it too in depth because it's hard. But what happens in the book a lot is that they are manifestations of certain natural occurrences and emotional, and they come in different shapes and sizes. My favorite are the flame spren. 
because the flame spren are what align with quantum mechanics and they're really cool. But like if you have a fire, there are these different sh shapes. And this one's the one that's most like a fairy. It will like kind of appear in different shapes and sizes and colors around a fire. But there are also like emotional based sprens. And this is, I know, the spren that annoys Leanne the most. These are sprens that would show up <laughs> when, when you are having strong emotions. But I think the key is, is that it has to be strong emotions. And these are things that, again, are wishy-washy in the world and are explained a little more later in ways that I really can't talk about, but I can see it being frustrating in Way of Kings. And I, I know a lot of people got at you, Leanne, but you're not the only person who hated Spren in Way of Kings. Like that's not an unpopular opinion. I don't know why people were treating it like an unpopular opinion, because it's not, they didn't make sense. And a lot of people were like, why are there these things everywhere? And he also doesn't consistently introduce them into scenes in Way of Kings, I don't think. Well, I was going to say, like, I had no, okay, I can't say I had no issue. I did found it, find it slightly silly, but I also, that wasn't my main issue, like, with whether or not it's kind of silly to have these magical thingies. Let's call them thingies. <laughs> we can agree they're thingies. Magical thingies that appear in different iterations, depending on whether it's in response to a natural uh, phenomenon like fire or to an emotional, a strong emotional phenomenon like love or anger. Um, and so, to me, again, as the culture human whatever person it was not believable to me that people can there's all these sort of high stakes political situations there's always emotionally charged situations and so taking it to its natural conclusion it would be relatively impossible or people would really have to like pay attention to how to counteract this if you're going to be given away, if your emotions are going to be given away by the appearance of these thingies. So like, if you really love somebody and, but for whatever reason, don't want them to know it, you're going to be given away by these thingies. And if you're really, really angry, but this is like a diplomacy situation and you fucking hate the person that you're having these like diplomatic talks with, but you can't let them know that, but you have these like anger, hate spread appearing, they're going to give you away. And so like, those all those kind of situations that that never comes up no one is ever given away by spren but one would imagine that this would happen <laughs> yeah and so if i had only read way of kings i would agree with you that this is something that maybe he overlooked or didn't utilize to its full potential but i now have theories about why things are the way they are and how situational it is and i do think there is like a threshold of emotion like i think slight frustration wouldn't I don't even know if frustration spren are a thing. Like there seem to actually not even be spren for every scenario. Like it's, and it has to do with a realm that I can't talk about because it's so Cosmere and we're not talking about the Cosmere, we're talking about Wave Kings. <laughs> Which also, I guess the thing we should bring up is how much you love the Cosmere and the greater world of Sanderson will influence how much you love the Stormlight Archives. The more you love the Cosmere, the more you will love the Stormlight Archives. Well, that, I don't so that was a big that. point of contention. People saying that I'm not allowed to have an opinion on Way of Kings if I'm not entirely versed in the Cosmere. And like to me, I'm like, okay, there might be more to enjoy outside of a book, but a book should stand on its own as well. It shouldn't be only enjoyable because of a greater universe. <laughs> no, to all those people, those people didn't know what they were talking about. You're allowed to have opinions about <laughs> Way of Kings without knowing the Cosmere. <laughs> I'm sure the author himself would tell you that. So, no, those people were just, they were they were sad that you told them their toy wasn't perfect. That's all. <laughs> but, yeah, no, the spread are okay. weird, and they're still weird. 
but they're more understandable now. But I'm not saying that you should read 4,000 pages to find out. <laughs> uh, I think the the final biggest, like, world buildy type thing, because a lot of the rest of my issues were kind of like one-off things of like, I found this, you know, this joke dumb or this character unbelievably naive or like things that are more kind of... Uh, a gray area of opinion where you're like, okay, it wasn't your taste the way this character mm-hmm. behaved, but um, a world building type issue was the way that reading is uh, again, split between the sexes where women are trained to read and write and men are not, but men are the ones in power. This is a patriarchal society and men have women read to them. And I'm like, okay, well women would have instantly seize power in the shadows because if I'm telling you this is what this says and you have only my word for it, I mean, that immediately, like, everything crumbles for me. I'm like, okay, there's just no way that women wouldn't have seized power. How would you hand that much power to women if they're not in control? So that kind I don't actually remember specifically if this was brought up in Words of Radiance or Way of Kings. So I'm going to be very vague. But there are things that women do with reading and writing that the men don't know about. I mean, that doesn't completely negate it. And like I said, I don't love the Alephi culture, which is unfortunately the only <laughs> culture you get in Way of Kings. I think they are backwards. I, I think they are not, they don't make smart decisions. It's a horrible empire. Like everything that happens in their empire, like they deserve the nonsense stuff they're doing on the Shattered Plains. Like, but, um, and it is patriarchal, but I do think because the women have reading and writing, they are at a stronger position than most patriarchal societies that I've read in books like they definitely are at more of a place of partnership even though the male does always get the final say but yeah I mean like I said I'm not an anthropology person so like I actually don't even have the like real life experience in like digesting that in our real world space because if I look into that I get sad but (laughs) I actually really like I I mean I just feel like I feel like if you basically it felt to me like a lot of his world building decisions when it came to the culture. So this being no different. So the reading and writing thing, the safe hand thing, the sweet food versus savory food. These were all things that felt to me like the cart before the horse, where instead of saying, okay, if a culture is placed in this situation and has these beliefs, what might naturally come out of that? What natural conventions of, of, you know, of culture practice, uh, etiquette, whatever, what would spring from that? Instead, it seemed like he came up with some weird kooky ideas and just grafted them onto these cultures and said, well, then th- this is the conclusion they arrived at. But because you didn't have reasoning for how they arrived at that conclusion, then it felt shallow and pointless. So it didn't feel like, like the fact that maybe only women can read and write and men can't, that's fascinating. But it just, if that is how things were working here, if that is how things are set up, the culture that would be formed around that would not look like the one that's in that book. That is not the dynamic you'd have between men and women if this was who was doing what. And that's why it was this dissonance for me when I was reading it. I was like, "You, these rules do not match these people. <laughs> they are not behaving like people who would be living under these rules. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like I said, I, I don't disagree with you from a logistical standpoint. I just don't think all the time my logical brain, because my logical brain is on all cylinders most of my days. So when I'm reading my pleasure read at night, if it doesn't 
bother me to that large of an extent. And if in my brain, I'm like, okay, it's a patriarchy, but at least I still get to read and write because, you know, I'm putting myself in the story. I'm just like, this is fine. I like it. I like that at least because I'm a scientist, (laughs) a scholar, that I can still do that. And that the women are generally in the story actually very powerful and influential. So I, yes, if I turn on my logical brain, it doesn't really make sense. But I'm not doing that all the time while I'm reading. Like, it's not like a thesis right? I'm writing, right? I'm reading it for fun. <laughs> so. I'm just picturing you as that, like, gif of that dog that's in the room on fire being like, this is fine. <laughs> it's not that. No, no. These books are, I have read Way of Kings four times. Okay. Wow. Oh, my God. <laughs> I, I feel like in general everybody has a thing that bugs them in books and usually it's the thing they know really well inside and out and nobody else is going to notice it but like they are like you know if a lawyer is reading a book where lawyers do unlawyerly things it's going to annoy them right I mean like that's I I feel like that's Mm -hmm. kind of pretty frequent so it's interesting it sounds like a lot of this is a thing of like this is something that just really really bothers you Liana because of your background (laughs) oh you could say that (laughs) (laughs) but I am like now like but to like straight well just to your credit Liana like I do wish like this could be even more spectacular if he did do those Mm -hmm. things like you bring up valid absences Mm -hmm. that maybe he does have written somewhere but he just didn't put it in the story, which I do find quite unbelievable because what doesn't he put in these stories? But again, I don't want them to get longer. So unless he already has it planned, I don't need it. I don't, I love them, but it's already going to be probably 12, 13,000 pages by the time this whole thing's done. You just need need like a cultural appendix. Like he should write like an extra book that's like an encyclopedia for major fans of the series that explains the stuff that doesn't get put in the books. Okay, but so... I had the nerve to suggest that uh, some of the things that are included in Way of Kings are extraneous and not I- important to the plot, like how the latrines are built. And I was like, you could have a world of companion book for some of this stuff. And I was also chewed alive for that. They're like, it's his decision how he writes it. It's not up to you. And I was like, no, I, I get how publishing works, but I'm saying that would make it better for me. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, so I know this was something you also talked about. A lot of people, even people who love the book. So this is, again, I'm surprised. Well, I'm not surprised. The internet is a vitriol place and it's horrible. But there are people who love this book and hate the interludes and people like me who love the book and love the interludes. And that is not like, it's not a, there's no unpopular opinion there. There are some people who are, who do not like the interludes and there's some people who love them. I love them because they are the few moments you get to leave the Alethi and go see other things. and like see other parts I mean, of it <laughs> to be quite honest like i i mean from a structural standpoint i think i suggested in my review that the interludes this was not the place for them because they are not relevant to the ongoing story you're telling in this book and from a structural standpoint if i was an editor a publisher that was that would be my recommendation but as a personal like taste thing i did find the interludes often more interesting than the main story being told and i was like this is i would rather be reading this but also stop like teasing me with something more interesting and then because it's not actually the story you're telling me. I don't, why are you like showing me a trailer for what's to come in the middle of this book that I'm hating? Like, <laughs> it's not a good plan. <laughs> that is probably actually the most unique opinion I've heard of the inter- interludes, honestly. 
<laughs> so okay, like I forget it's it's, it's been two years, but the one that stands out in my mind because once again, as like my anthropology background coming to the forefront, um, the interlude that has to do with I don't remember the name of the culture or the character, but this place where they all live with like a few inches of water oh, on the ground, like- so they're always. Yeah, I found that fascinating as like, I was like, this is like an ethnography and I want to know so much more about how these people live and how their relationship is to the land and how these ecological factors shaped their culture. And we were there for like a little bit and I was like, okay, and we're back to whatever the nonsense is Way of Kings is about and we're never going to see that again. Great. (laughs) And so the average person who is liking the book and keeps reading it because they're liking it because it really sounds like Leanne should have DNF'd this book at around page 300 <laughs> or something <laughs> like that. Um, <laughs> that's just what it sounds like based off your one star rating. But um, <laughs> the average person is... I kept, people kept saying it's amazing and I kept waiting to feel that way. <laughs> oh, yeah, I, I don't know what to tell you, man, but most people are enjoying the main plot and they're like, oh, I want to be with the main plot. Why am I with this random person in Pure Lake? Like, that's the average opinion. <laughs> so. I mean, I was also still like, why am I with this person at Pure Lake, especially if that's not what the story is about. So like editor me is like, this seems pointless. But anthropologist me was like, but this is more interesting. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I mean, I think something that it should be said about the Stormlight Archives that is a pro and a con, if you can't have it, is that it's an indulgently long series. Like, he even says all the time that he wrote four prologues, which really doesn't work for a lot of people, but most people will forgive it by the end. But I think most people, when they pick up this book and they're like, goodness, where is the story starting? I've just had like three false starts. I, what is happening is normally everyone's impression <laughs> when they read the book. I don't actually know if that was mine because honestly, when I picked up this book, like I said, I was a little 18 year old and I'm like, this book's real big and I don't know what's happening because the back of the book is not helpful in telling you what happens. So, like, so we. Well, whoever had that job to write the blurb on the back, like, I wouldn't want that job. (laughs) No, no. Even now, like, when we were all reading the back of the current release and we're like, I've read this series, I'm reading the book right now and I don't know what the back of the book means. It's very (laughs) abstract, but I think because it's allowed to be this long, if it works for you, and there's a lot of ifs there, right? You have to like not find certain things so annoying. You have to be invested and connected. And all of these things are X factors, right? Like one's connection to characters and plot is a very subjective experience. So if those things are working for you, it's a very immersive experience. You get to spend a long time. Like for me, these books are like really long TV shows. Like they're 22 episode seasons and each one's really long and I get filler episodes and like, I get that really drawn out experience. Like, I think, I don't know if either of you have watched like Avatar Last Airbender. I would say that there are a lot of filler episodes that most people would say this doesn't further the plot of the story, but I want those filler episodes. Like, and that's how these books feel to me. They are books with the filler episodes. And if that works for you, it makes it an amazing experience. But if you're not meshing with it, it makes it boring and long. And why are you there? <laughs> I asked myself that a lot when I was reading it. <laughs> I mean, that makes... I was literally... Wait, uh, Angela, have you read any of the First Law books? I've read the First Law trilogy twice. And I just... I keep trying All to right. read Best Served Cold. So that's what I've okay, read. Because I was literally... While I, while I was reading Way of Kings, I was glocked in my head going, Why do I do this? Why? <laughs> Well, and like, I, tap pain. 
Well, and what's interesting is you bring up the first law trilogy, which is I think is a story very similar to Way of Kings, where the plot is not obvious most of the time, mm-hmm. right? Like the first law trilogy, if you've read it, is a story with very it's, it's a very character driven story, not like Stormlight, which is I think way more world building and there is plot and characters people like, but the character work in the first law is like off the charts. But if you aren't connecting with those characters, that plot is not going to do oh, it yeah. for you. And yes, the world is great. But so then it's this, each book is like 400, 500 pages and it's, it can feel long, I guess is what I would say. Because <laughs> that was partially my experience when I first read it. And then when I read it a second time to try and figure out why my brain wasn't connecting with it as much. So like, it's, it's interesting because, you know, Leanne, that's one of Leanne's favorite series is Joe Abercrombie's First Law World. And, you know, Stormlight's one of my favorite series. And we both kind of have similar opinions about the other's favorites in that it doesn't really mesh with us and we don't really get it. <laughs> I, think, I think we've now identified what that thing is, because as you said, like Joe Abercrombie's focus is the characters and the way the characters interact with the world. There is never a point where that is unbelievable where it falls apart because like people don't act like this or people wouldn't respond to the situation this way where like we're all focused on the magic and the situation and like to hell with how people actually behave. Joe Abercrombie is 100%, 110% about how people behave. And so since that's what I, that's my make or break, then Abercrombie is the perfect author for me because that is his focus. No, and I, I do. And I like, what's interesting is I can see that objectively he's very good at character work, but for some reason I don't connect to them, which means to me, it's like, okay, you are obviously a real person, but you're just not a real person I want to hang out with right now. <laughs> like, if that makes sense. Yeah. Like, you know, like, it's just like... Oh, it makes sense. <laughs> well, they're not, it's not even that they're unlikable, although, like, I I mean, we're not going to get into it, but I hate West more than anything in the world, so... <laughs> That's interesting. <laughs> All my friends love him, and I'm just like, no, but... <laughs> no, but so, I mean, I think that... I just think that's part of why some people can forgive the pacing in Stormlight is because they're connecting on other levels. But that connecting is like going on a first date. Like it's that that connecting, like I would say Joe Abercrombie does everything perfectly with his character works and it doesn't work for me. Now I won't say that Sanderson is as good as his characters, but I connect with them way more and that's just like a taste thing, right? Well, again, that was one of when I think it was one of my criticisms in my review that because Sanderson had written a character like Kaladin and based on, again, the situation that Kaladin is in and the situation that the rest of the bridge bridge crew is in with Kaladin, their, their attitude towards life and towards the world should be more reminiscent of the characters of an Abercrombie book where they're living such miserable, horrible, violent lives where they really should be these hardened not pleasant people they should behave like the characters in an Abercrombie book but their banter with each other is like the most childish schoolyard little he called his feet smelly like humor where I was like I cannot with this like they are supposed to be hardened warriors police (laughs) now what I will say this is mostly usually a pro for people though is that you're right it's not grimdark Sanderson will have dark things happen and dark moments and potentially even like the Mistborn world is kind of like a very dreary world but people really kind of like how it still feels like you could read it to your kid. Does that make sense? Like, it's like how Lord of the Rings. It did has feel that. like you could read it to a kid. <laughs> but it's not for kids. Like, so when I read those scenes, I actually didn't have that same experience that you did. But I also like recognize that it doesn't feel as gritty or dark. But that was a, a pro for me, or at least it didn't detract. 
And when I talk to Jade from Bedtime Bookworm, she really likes it because it reminds her of Wheel of Time, which also has, I guess, those themes of dark things are happening, but it still feels kind of wholesome to an extent. I, I don't know if that's the right word, but it's the closest world word I can think of right now. I, I don't know. It did feel wholesome. <laughs> yeah. So, and I think for some people to have an adult, wholesome, epic fantasy, that is niche for a lot of people, obviously, right? If you look at Goodreads, like a lot of people want to consume that. Now, if your bread and butter is realistic fantasy, grimdark fantasy, then yeah, this is not going to do that for you, especially since it doesn't have the weighted prose of a lot of those authors like Erickson and Abercrombie and gosh, I'm, I, oh, and George Martin and stuff. Like it's not going to have that same weight. But some people like me, I read all those books, I'm capable of it, but I get exhausted and I'm not having that much fun. See, so I have a lot of fun reading this. Honestly, online. I found it shocking how how much more childish I found Stormlight Archive to feel as compared to Mistborn, which Mistborn is occasionally shelved in YA. And Mistborn was far more in line with that sort of gritty, realistic depiction of how characters would behave and respond to the world they're placed in. I don't think most of his books are that way, though. Well, but so I only read like Mistborn and then read Stormlight, and I was like, Mistborn had this, the characters believably responding to a dark world. And then I pick up Stormlight where they're like in Neverland, and I was like, what? Yeah, I think Mistborn is, at least based on the books I have read from him, I think Mistborn is much darker and grittier than like a lot of his books. Usually they've got a lighter touch. And I think that's interesting because I, like, I can kind of see both sides of this, but I also don't always want things to feel super dark. I also think realistically, there's something to be said for the fact that, I mean, granted, like this doesn't do away with the fact that there should be variation, but like people do respond to trauma in different ways. And there are people who cope not by being super hardened and like angry at the world. Like that's one way of coping, but that's not the only way. Oh, absolutely. But yeah, I mean, and so I the, something... go ahead. No, I, I guess also something that I think is not the strongest in Way of Kings, but like having just read Oathbringer in Rhythm of War recently, that I think Sanderson's really honed since, I mean, gosh, he wrote Way of Kings 10 years ago. That isn't as present in the first book, although it is, but it's the darker moments don't come from the dark events because a lot of our characters are suffering from trauma and mental illness that isn't as in the forefront in Way of Kings. And I was reading Rhythm of War and following a character who was suffering from this mental illness and I was legit getting anxiety and nervous for them because they were acting and saying things like a friend of mine who had that same thing and I'm like oh my god I'm so stressed for you I'm like remembering when I'm having to help my friend cope like these are things that don't exist in way of kings but things that have happened as the series progressed and for me those are the dark moments those are the anxiety inducing moments and I think that's just where he's chosen to focus in this series Whereas I think Mistborn does have the better, darker atmosphere, because maybe that's what he wanted to do there. Because you're, you're right, Bethany, like Elantris and Warbreaker are, I guess Elantris is like not, it's like has like a darker atmosphere-ish, but not really. They're both very wholesome. Yeah, well, and then he also, I mean, and then also I think about like the things I've read from him that are more like for teenagers are like... Oh, I don't like those. So yeah, I don't like. Them at all, so. <laughs> but so I guess for me, like if, it's if just his the, adult are almost. For me, the Go difference ahead, is that I don't. Uh, if you want to write something wholesome, then you then you can't 
put your character in a situation that isn't wholesome, if that makes sense. So like if you, if we want to read about warriors fighting the good fight for noble reasons, like great. I love the sort of truth books, which is a really unpopular opinion, but I love the sort of truth books partly for that reason, because they're this heightened, like he's this like uber, like overpowered magical hero with a magic sword and a magic lady and a magic grandpa. And like he can conquer all the darkness and evil. And it's, and it's great. Like I love it. But also <laughs> for that reason, like, there, well, there are some very kinky dark moments, which are kinky yeah. and dark. But I mean, yeah. the types of situations he's placed in are like, there's this magical curse and now we have to find the riddle to solve the thing and find the MacGuffin and then we get it in the nick of time and we save the day. So like, it's kind of wholesome. But if you have a situation like the one Kaladin is in, uh, like to me as a reader, I'm like, okay, this just isn't wholesome though. Like the, the situation, like it would make people rougher. They're, that's the only way to survive here. And so, like, if even Kaladin himself was the one that was still trying to be good and not fall to that, the people surrounding him would be that way more. They wouldn't all be, quote unquote, wholesome. And that's where it just, like, it would grate on me because I was just like, I can't honestly suspend my, like, I can't believe that these people are in this situation because they're not acting like people in that situation. Mm. So... I, I well so then I don't have a story that I get to read in fantasy by your rules because I would have hated the plot you just described to me with the whole find the MacGuffin. I hate quest stories. They're like my <laughs> least favorite stories. It's probably why like I like low key want to give Lord of the Rings three stars, and I know the internet would hate them. <laughs> like, <laughs> that. That's just, I, it's not that it's bad, right? Like obviously it's good, but it's just like if I'm reading a story for pleasure, I don't gain pleasure from that story. But but I also like. Gosh, I don't want to like talk about like specific things and like spoilers, but like as I'm remembering the bridge crew and what they go through, for me it was very much a transition to complete ambivalence, no interaction, into attempting to be alive again. And that attempt to be alive again might have come across as juvenile, but maybe that was the bare minimum energy they could have given to the situation. Now, like I said, this is. I reread Way of Kings this summer, so it's not like as fresh as I would like it to be to make sure that I'm, but I mean, I'm sure you're right. There are scenes where they make bad jokes, but like, have you, I guess this is also my physics background. Have you sat in a room with adult I men who like, look. <laughs> like, they're like the worst. They make the worst jokes like all the time. No, no offense to any male listeners here. It's just like, I've sat in a room with men and they've made very crude jokes very often. <laughs> So, okay, so I've heard just like I've heard this argument before that like that is that that it's them, you know, trying to come alive again. And that's what this is. But to me, again, like it didn't read to me like men who have survived really like traumatizing things and are now trying to find joy again, because it didn't come across as finding joy. It came across as children. And there is a distinct difference to me. So like it doesn't it doesn't matter if the humor is like potty humor, because absolutely you're right. Men make terrible jokes all the time but just the tenor and the tone of their relationship with each other and the kind of conversation they're having it didn't read to me like men finding joy again which i would absolutely be here for it read to me like a child's idea of how that would work <laughs> i'm really curious now to know what this reads like because i've also like in the past spent some time around um like men who had been in the military and had been deployed and stuff and like sometimes the way that they cope with that and in their relationships with each other can be pretty juvenile not always but sometimes so like I wonder I don't know like I, I just wonder too if like the idea 
of what that looks like and the way it's portrayed by authors like Abercrombie is not necessarily always the way that it looks, you know? I mean, like, I don't, I don't know how to put it into words. Like there's to me a difference between men having juvenile humor and children. And like, there was like that, that je ne sais quoi, that difference there where it didn't feel like adults with juvenile humor. It felt like children. Yeah. I mean, and I think we can agree that that's probably one of the more like subjective parts of reading, right? Like, yeah. Like, I mean, I'm not going to tell Leanne her interpretation of that is wrong for her. Like, that's how it came Why across. Why not join the rest of the internet? <laughs> I am a mature adult. I will not do that. <laughs> Everyone else can be a child on the internet. I want people to read Stormlight. I want women to read Stormlight. I want those men to go away. <laughs> I just... You know, we all know the the fantasy online community can be toxic if you end up in the wrong corner by accident. This is true. Well, really, any online community can end up being yeah. toxic. That's true. The only one I look at is fantasy, but you're right. <laughs> I do think it's true that pe- people can go in to a book and read it two different, very different ways and come away with two very different perspectives on, like, what was happening and the tone of it and what the characters were doing and saying and stuff. So... Like, it's also possible that there are multiple possible interpretations of this, you know, that like, Leanna, maybe that was your experience of what it was like reading it. And maybe not everybody finds it to be the same way. I, but I don't, I don't know. It's, it's interesting. Some, I do think that's the sort of thing that could be more subjective. Like humor is also very subjective, right? Because it's just, people have such different senses of humor and it's really personal. So like something that I don't know. Like, it's it's funny. Sometimes there are books I read that I think are hilarious that other people don't find funny or vice versa, where I'm like, yeah, this is supposed to be funny, but it's not for me. So. No, yeah, that happens to me yeah, all the time. Sanderson's humor is a big myth for me. <laughs> yeah. Well, I like his humor in other books, um, but like, I hear that complaint. And like his why, I really enjoyed uh, his first why sci-fi went skyward. Is that the first one? No, it's the second one. Oh, I haven't read the second one. What is the, f- the first one? Um, Reckoners? Skyward is the first one. No, Reckoners is the first one in a sci-fi series. Are you, are you talking oh, about the Oh, first series. Episode? What? No, 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 no. The, no, the, it is a sci-fi series, but the, his YA one. There are two YA sci-fi series by Sanderson's. One's about superheroes and one's about space. Which one? Oh, the space one. Skyward. Okay, so it is Skyward. It is Skyward. Yeah. Oh, the superhero. Yeah, I guess that's technically sci-fi. I always forget that like superheroes can be sci-fi. <laughs> They're definitely sci-fi in this one. They're definitely they not- are. Yeah. <laughs> I that one's probably actually my least favorite series I've read from him. Oh, that one I'm like low-key giving two stars now. I really hate it. And more and more I think about yeah. how I read it. Yeah. I I just didn't yeah, I wasn't a fan. But I really liked Skyward and there were things in it that I thought were funny or cute that other people apparently hated. So you know. Skyward's a perfect example of me agreeing with Leanne where something was way too childish for me. And I was like, oh my God, I can't handle this. I <laughs> loved it. I was like, this is great. It's fun and cute. No, I, I do <laughs> like the story. My opinion about Skyward is that Spencer should have been 14 if that's how the story was to be written. That's an opinion. Why? That's how I felt I mean, about I'm, a sorcery of thorns. She's like, oh, so she's the same. She's older than Vin in Mistborn. <laughs> Well, that's more a problem with Mistborn. Maybe, but okay, so you haven't read Way of Kings, but he's written three 17-year-old characters, and two yeah. of them I really like, and then there's Spensa. <laughs> and I, I like her. her. I think she's better in Starsight. She's better in Starsight. I just, like, I read her, and, like, mm-hmm. 
it was one of the rare moments where if I hadn't read other Sanderson, I'm like, what? This is not like, so again, this is also me putting yeah. myself in the story. It was just nothing relatable to me, right? Like, obviously, there are some people who that is how they like relate or think and stuff, but I just, I didn't understand it. But this isn't about Skyward, but I don't like Skyward. Yeah. That's so <laughs> interesting because like, I, I really liked her and I also found her to be relatable as a 17 year old. Yeah. Like, as a teenager, I was like, yeah, this is, this, this seems like how I would be as a teenager. <laughs> Who's the third 17-year-old character that you like? Well, so Vin's like 16, 17, and Shallan's 17. Although Shallan's Shalon, technically older. I thought older. it was Shallan. <laughs> Shallan's technically older because Roshar's years are 500 days. But yeah, hmm. culturally, she's 17. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah, I, I'm one of the rare people who <laughs> likes Shallan in Way of Kings. Most people don't like Shallan in Way of Kings. They like her in Words of Radiance. But I have always liked her, and that's an unpopular opinion. <laughs> interesting interesting yeah i think you know i i i suspect which we don't have time to do this in this episode but i suspect that probably if we got into talking about our high school selves we would probably have been very different people as we should be we should all be unique individuals (laughs) yes (laughs) um but i do think that that often influences especially with younger characters or with YA books like people's response to it of whether it matches their experience of what things were like and so I do think that's interesting I hope this has been helpful to someone out there who is about Stormlight basically if you studied anthropology don't read it and if you studied (laughs) physics do read it (laughs) or like I mean I think I think it also matters it basically how what I've been hearing from Leanne is like how how much do you want things to make complete sense or like I don't because I feel like you are, are a critical reader of most things which is great like I just think that Stormlight is something that's really fun to read as like a not a pure pleasure read it obviously takes work because it's, it's like awesome. what's, what's your threshold for suspension of disbelief yeah and I mean, because also, like, yes, although, and I think this is part of his problem, right? He's always so consistent on so many things, so that when he is inconsistent, it's so glaring, because he's been so consistent about other things. So, like, I get that, but it just doesn't Well, yeah, I mean, I was going to say, like, for a book that's a thousand pages, you're telling me you don't have the time to tell me how this culture's supposed to work? Like, oh, well, you know what? Get lost. (laughs) (laughs) I've been reading Way of Kings since 2010. It's great. <laughs> well, I have, I recently got the audiobook and I plan like to 50 hours. <laughs> no, this one's only 35. Calm down. Yeah, okay. and I'll I'll listen to it on faster speeds. Um, but I do plan to try it. This has been very interesting and enlightening. I think I might enjoy it. So we'll see. Because, Liana, I do think the stuff that bothered you is stuff that, like, I can put up with better. To be to be perfectly honest, Bethany, I do think you will like it. <laughs> I do think the people who tend to not, who tend to be more frustrated by the things that Sanderson does wrong are people who um, usually like prose that are less direct than what he chooses to do. He has very repetitive direct prose, which work great for my little brain that mm-hmm. can't think a lot at night because sometimes I just need it to be laid out especially since I'm not actually a visual reader like I what is that thing called where you don't like form images in your brain very well oh, interesting so like I'm not someone who that's like a part of my reading experience I do still have like a feeling image in my head like I still do some sort of movie but it's not visual 
And so for me, when I read prose that are very descriptive and literal, that's really hard for me. So to have something so direct, it's not a barrier to the story. And since I like the story a lot, that's like perfect for me. Mm-hmm. That's a subjective thing, though, whether you like the story or not. So, right. That's interesting. I like, I mean, I, I like both of those different types of writing. It just depends. I like to have a mixture in my reading. So, but I often like things that everybody, like not everybody enjoys. So that's, I, some my, of my, my reason for my thinking, are. my reason for thinking that you would like Stormlight is mm-hmm. the reason you like the Witchlands. Ah, uh, Okay. I'm in the dark on this. Tell me. <laughs> no, I mean, like, just, like, the way that you've responded to Witchlands, which I also didn't yeah. care for. I feel like uh-huh. that der- enjoyment you derive from that series, I think you're going to find that kind the of same enjoyment. Thing. Yeah. Well, I guess that's the thing, because I there's different there's enjoyment I derive in different ways from different types of series. But, yeah, the Witchlands, I think what I love about it is it's... I think the world is really interesting and I like the mystery surrounding it and the way she writes Easter eggs into books that make more sense when you go back and reread them after reading later books. Like, I love that. <laughs> Angela, does that not sound like somebody who'd like Stormlight? <laughs> yeah, like, so let, let me tell you, okay. She just you described War- somebody describing Stormlight. <laughs> you read Warbreaker, right, Bethany? Yeah, I mean, it's been a long time. I, like, I would need to go back and reread. No, no, no you don't. Well, at least... Okay, maybe if you want to see some of the super subtle things that happen, but that doesn't yeah. matter. There is something that happens in Words of Radiance that I always tell people, you need to read Warbreaker first. You don't need to. It's actually not plot important. Mm-hmm. But, like, the squeal I made when I read <laughs> Words of Radiance because of an Easter egg. Like, I was just... <laughs> I love stuff like that so much. <laughs> like, it just gives me so much joy. <laughs> Rhythm of War was full of that. So I'm just saying, like, there's a... And full disclosure, if you haven't read the Stormlight Archives, it, like, it's a slog. Like, I would say the first and third books have the worst pacing, but it's still, like, I think has great payoff at the end. But the second and fourth books are just, like, roller coasters. They're just insane. <laughs> All right. I Yeah, I've been intimidated because it's so, such a long series. But, I mean, it does sound like the kind of thing I would enjoy because I really, really like books that do stuff like that. Yeah, I think it's fun. I mean, I also, one of my, so my favorite book last year, which is a very polarizing book, was The Starless Sea by Erin Morgenstern. And a lot of people did not like it. One of the things that I loved about it, and I found out I was right when I read her kind of like end note stuff about what I thought she was doing with it, is that it was partly in, like inspired by RPG video games. Like she played a lot of Dragon Age <laughs> writing it and like so much of it reads like an rpg video game and i love that and i love dragon age and i was like this is so wonderful and i love it so much and like other people are like what is this like and i i frequently find that with books where i can tell it's been inspired by the structure of those kinds of video games and some people hate it and it makes me very happy i was one of those people who wanted to love the starless sea i was like 400 pages in and I was like oh my goodness things are coming together I love this I love these stories within stories I see the breadcrumbs oh my god this is going to be so great and um that ending makes no sense I spent hours trying to figure out what that ending means I found an interview no I found an interview of hers and she straight up said she just connected it as she went she had no end game plan and none of it makes sense (laughs) okay I may I think it makes sense it totally does we'll have to have a whole like starless sea episode i took notes i took so many notes because i was so excited about all these breadcrumbs because i was 
was like, and it was so lyrical. I was, it's, mm-hmm. it's 500 was pages yeah. where I was just like fighting through a writing style. It's not for me, but I was so excited. And then it didn't stick the landing for me. This is very subjective, but I was yeah. so frustrated. Oh my goodness. Sounds like so it's the lost of books. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's hilarious. No, I I loved it. I loved I liked the ending. It made sense to me. Also, I love the writing style. It read it was like a fairy tale and it was so immersive and I just it made I, me happy. I do through. hold that if that was a 350 page book and not a 500 page book, I would have been okay with the ending it had because I wouldn't have felt like I invested as much time for the mm-hmm. payoff I got. I do Well, it's, it I I will say this. It is the sort of book that uh, will reward close reading and theorizing because there's a lot of stuff that that she does tell you, but it never gets spelled out. Like you have to kind of piece it together. So yeah. like it's there, there are a lot of puzzle pieces and the pieces are all there, but she doesn't do the work for you. You have to kind of connect the dots yourself. I wonder if I still have my pages where I was taking all those notes. I'll have to send it to you. I was literally like I was the person with the wall of red string. <laughs> okay. We'll have to we'll have to talk about this because yeah, I like I love it. I actually want to do a reread of it, but um but it, it was the sort of thing where I can see how it could be frustrating for a lot of people. But I was like so into it and like connecting dots with like different things that that you get. But the, the thing is, is she'll do revelations in like a couple sentences that if you're not paying close attention, you're going to miss it. You know, like it's that sort of thing. Well, I'm and excited for that episode because I want it to make sense to me. That's <laughs> all I've wanted. That's all I have wanted is it to make sense. <laughs> we'll have to do that. Oh, man. Um, well, this has been fun. And I think a very productive conversation. Hopefully other people have also enjoyed it. Thank you guys so much for joining me tonight. Again, this has been Chapter 3 Podcast, and I'm your host, Bethany. You can follow us on Twitter at Chapter 3 Podcast, and you can also find me on YouTube at Beautifully Bookish Bethany if you want even more bookish content. The next episode will be available in two weeks, and this episode's bonus content, which we're going to record right after this, will be available to patrons within the next couple of days. Thanks for listening.